Hello, I'm Jacob Earl, and this is Constantly Moving Forward. It's always nighttime on the internet, but right now it's literally nighttime because it's about four in the morning and I can't sleep. I don't have anything particularly to talk about, but I literally can't sleep. I've been laying in bed trying to get to sleep for, um, let's see, I woke up at two, so about two hours now. I believe the culprit is the entire pizza that I ate for dinner and my pretty unfortunate disagreement with the concept of cheese. So here we are together in the endless nighttime of cyberspace. What do you want to talk about? What sort of things keep you up at night? Right now, the only thing keeping me up is about half a pound of cheese. As a project, I set myself um, a book to write of things from my diaries and things that have happened to me. My goal was to have mm, 12, 14 of them. I kind of petered out around eight. And so what I did to procrastinate working on that is I started another book about uh, Dr. Zachary Smith, a young man I used to write about quite often, and uh, got about 3,000 words into that and kind of hit a wall. But the thing about a fictional book when you're writing it is you don't have to wait for more things to happen to you. With the nonfiction one, I just sort of have to wait or, or sit around thinking of things that have happened to me. With something fictional, you can just sort of make it up, you know? I'm terrible at lying, but I'm pretty good at making things up. Another facet of the, the fictional one that makes it significantly easier is I kind of care about his story. And even if it's poorly written, I want to see what happens next. But the terrible thing is there's no way to find out who what happens next. You know, there's no one to ask. I got to sit down and write it myself. And could be years waiting for another installment. You know, and the only person around to write it is me. I'm the only one who knows what's going to happen. I don't even know what's going to happen. I, I used to write a weekly adventure story where Dr. Smith and his, uh, his friend, his only friend, Captain Brown, would sort of, you know, tootle about the city, solving crimes, creating crimes, helping people, hurting people. They were the, the, the heroes, but only barely. They had a lot of money and power and... They exploited it, theoretically to everyone's benefit, but mostly just to their own. You know, because there was an invading power, or someone had gotten kidnapped, or whatever. But the morality of their actions always struck me. At one point, they were crawling through the sewers, hunting a dragon, and they came across these, like, enemy agents. You know, like bad guys. And because this is something that often happens in films, not crawling through sewers looking for dragons, but our hero encounters an enemy. And in movies, it always bothered me. And the, the point of this story was to fix every fictional um, scenario that had ever bothered me. 
by running it through what I would do in that situation if I had the sort of power and expertise of the hero of a film. And so what happens in this example of this, these two men crawling through a sewer and they encounter an enemy agent is that they kill him. They don't uh, stop him. They don't tie him up. And as I wrote it, it really bugged me. And I, I started to see kind of why people in movies often leave so many people alive. Because they're in a movie. They don't think to themselves that they're in a movie, but they are. And if you're in a movie and you're a normal sort of person walking around, you don't really want to kill an enemy agent, you know? You don't really want to have that on your conscience. But I think that if you were an actual action hero, you'd be so messed up at that point, you wouldn't have much problem with it. Captain Brown, the Dr. Smith's friend, remarked upon it at the time that, what was it exactly? He said, you know, if we weren't the good guys, We'd make excellent villains. Something like that. Really had a way with words. Very charismatic man. Uh, remembered everybody's name. Got to be the mayor eventually, actually. But only because the political system was inherently corrupt. But he was good. He was a good man. I made him up. I don't know why I'm talking about him like he's a guy I know. I made him up. Suddenly, I was writing a new installment of that, but I was going to release it as a book, I think. But I'm only 3,000 words in, which really shocked me, because in college I had such a heck of a time writing things. Writing things has always been so difficult. When I was doing this, uh, this story I wrote when I was a kid, I'd write them every week at the last possible minute, and I'd just sort of power through it, you know steal narrative situations from whatever book or TV show I was watching and, and fix them so that, you know, they happened to my characters and in the way that I made sense, you know, made sense for what I was doing. Even that was pretty tough. And then I went off to college. And in college, they're always wanting you to write something. But it's always something about... I think what messed me up was that biology class. Before I ever got to college proper... I took a biology class to prove that I knew things, and in it I had to write a, uh, you couldn't see it, but I just sort of went on my tiptoes when I said to prove that I knew things, like a 1930s professor. Um, anyway, in this biology class you had to write a paper, and I wrote a two-page paper, the longest academic work of mine uh, at that point, and an only extant academic work of mine at that point. I had never done any other academic work. Anyway, getting back to the main point, I wrote a two-page paper on tardigrades, and I was really proud of it, but I got all scared because in biology, you can't make any statement unless you know it to be true, which is ridiculous, but I, I didn't want to make any statement I didn't source. So for every sentence of this two-page paper, I I sourced it, you know, and I, I, and I had like half the half the paper I had like 50 sources or something and I was only supposed to have like five but I got real nervous and I, I you know when you get nervous you sort of overdo it and I also made an accompanying 
um, Rex Harrison style music video where I uh, wrote a song, but I couldn't play any instruments at that point. Some might say that even to this day I can't play any instruments, and those people are correct. Anyway, I turned it in, and I was the, you know, my teacher almost cried. She was so excited. And then I got to college, college proper, and I studied affairs more of the mind and the heart, things more closely tied to the human soul, like art and ephemera such as that. Things you can't really find a lot of sources for that they want you to, you know, speak more from your own experience, what you thought about it. But that first paper really messed me up because I didn't want to make any sort of statement unless I could source it. And there's no way to have an MLA uh, citation for I didn't like this or this didn't do this well. That was the other thing that kept coming up. I'd, I'd see something and I'd say, I didn't like this. And if you're about to go to college or you're already in college, don't ever say that, you know? It's an interesting place to start, I guess. Interesting enough, but much like the word interesting, it has no inherent meaning. If you see a film and you say, I didn't like this, okay why right like keep going but don't go on too long college is a, was a real dance keep going but don't go on too long there were these um like whole categories of people i had classes with and if you're listening to this yes it was you i'm just kidding they probably won't listen to this who would never have anything to say but would keep going on forever about it like, if you did the readings and you're talking about what we're talking about, then if you have some sort of cogent thought, I'd love to hear it. But if you're trying to bring this NPR story about mollusks into your larger cosmology of urban witchcraft, and that necessitates a 24-minute dissertation on the nature of crystals, this may not exactly be the time nor place, right? You sort of get to the point. Or if you're really quiet in class, you know, if you speak so softly, not out of fear, but because you want everyone to listen to you, right? It's a great power move for all those teen out teenagers out there on the way to college. Speak real, real and say, well, what do you think to say? Not out of fear, because if you're afraid, I'm not yelling at you about this. If you legitimately are, feel super nervous in class, right? Like, I get that. But if you're just acting small and quiet to the point where no one can hear you in the echoey attic gallery, of seminar E, then stop talking or start talking louder because everyone else stops, right? I had teachers who were very quiet too, and I think it was just because they're nervous, but it really bothered me because I'm naturally quite loud, and I'm naturally quite loud because there are very few actual like consequences for things. 
like particularly for me, but especially for like speaking up in class, if you have something to say in a college classroom, say it. People have been saying things in college classrooms for years now. It's undoubtedly not the weirdest or most ridiculous thing that your teacher has heard today, and your fellow classmates may write down your name in their notebook as a seminar star, which is to say an attention hog who keeps everyone else from talking, um, but that doesn't really have any consequence on you. I really was proud of that, that concept, of the concept of the seminar star, someone who takes the opportunity of seminar to... Uh, get on their soapbox about something. And they're often wrong. Like I, I had a seminar star one time who really just went on and on about solar panels. And they, they seemed to believe that people who didn't have solar panels were stupid because there's so many ways to get solar panels. Like you can get them subsidized from the government or, or like that. And I mean, People don't think about people who aren't from where they're from. That's a very kind of complicated sentence, so I'm going to say it again. People don't think about people who aren't from where they're from. That didn't make it any clearer. But I'll often see this with, um, like, public transit, right? Like, people will be all about trains. They'll be like, oh, man, you should ride the bus everywhere. But places like where I am now or where I grew up, they don't have buses. They're just not here. And while you can't get here without a car, you also can't leave without one. And it's unlikely that I, as a new car owner, thank you very much, I'm going to go drive to a train or something when I could just drive all the way there. But anyway, this person with solar panels, I love solar panels. I'm a big fan of solar panels. I think that here in Arizona and in California and all these southern states, um, as an aside, I was in Montana once and I called the, uh, in a borrowed car and I said to the man who was driving, uh, nice and warm down here in the south, this is in Montana, and he laughed because he'd never thought of Montana as the south, which brings me back to my point. People tend not to consider people unlike them. That still doesn't make it any clearer. Anyway, I'm going to keep talking about this. But here's a word from our sponsors. This week's show is brought to you by a grand chestnut tree. Ancient and imposing, standing tall over a walled garden in a small northeastern town. Perhaps a town you've even been to. Standing guard for generations as the buildings grow and change and crumble to dust around it, the tree only ever getting taller, the birds dying and being born and being born again, and the chipmunks and the squirrels making their homes in its ancient flesh, and one day being felled for a new housing development. This week's show is brought to you by an ancient chestnut tree in a small walled garden of a northeastern town. And by...
Viewers like you. That's right. Viewers like you are supporting the show by going to payjacoberl.com, which will redirect you to our Patreon page, where for a single American dollar a month, you can get the stuff I've been making a little bit early and have the warm satisfaction in your heart of helping me make cool stuff where I explore emotions and feelings online for you. Once again, that's payjacoberl.com. Now back to the show. Consequences. That's right, consequences. College is a time to speak, right? And if someone writes down in their notebook that you're a seminar star, it's because they're uncomfortable in themselves and their ability to say things because they sit there, they being me, right? Sit there and say, well, this uh, ding-a-ling, saying their ding-a-ling thing about surfboarding. I had someone with a film about surfboarding. They're like, oh, well, you know, if you feel down at work, it was like being trapped at work, right? And then they, they went at the end and they went surfboarding. And I was just like, I'm from the cold, frozen north. You're going to school in Washington. We can't all just go surfboarding. You need money and time off work and a certain amount of personal freedom where like you don't have to make dinner or whatever you can afford to eat out the point of your short film is morally corrupt you know it's like i didn't say that i just sat there and said so-and-so's a seminar star because i didn't feel confident enough in myself to speak up right and that's what college is all about it's about speaking up it's about saying stuff, even if it's dumb stuff about surfboards or crystals or any number of other things. Whatever the heck I would talk about in class. I'm sure lots of people are like, Jacob Earl never shuts the frick up. And that's true. I don't. It's always been a problem of mine. Rambliness. Um, just speak up no real consequence to it even if somebody walks around their bedroom at four in the morning talking about talking to themselves about a short film you made about public transit even though he agrees with all of your points he just disagrees with your execution you know it's not really a consequence exactly that's just sort of a thing i kind of wonder what people think is gonna happen you know so I have a lot of anxiety, right? And in my way, in my processing of trying to get over it, Jesus Christ. And anyway, I have a lot of anxiety, right? And in trying to get over it, I'll make this joke to my other anxiety-ridden friends when they're trying not to do something that they have to do, right? I'll say, yeah. Uh, Oh, what's the worst that's going to happen? Somebody's going to yell at you? And they'll look at me and they'll go, Yes, that is really bad. But if you think about it, someone yelling at you is not that bad. 
Someone pushing you over, that's pretty bad. Someone breaking your heart, that's pretty bad. Someone yelling at you, on the whole, not particularly bad. One of the lightest consequences of any action. And if you listen, you might even hear something, you know? Not just the words that they're trying to get across to you about how, you know, you kind of misunderstood the, the prompt and that click is really annoying and you should get rid of it. But also maybe something about something deeper, you know, something about the person who's speaking. You can always hear something in the, the way that someone says something or what words they choose to use. Really throws them off too, if you get good enough at it. No one expects you in the middle of talking to him to go, right, I get that you're uncomfortable with this because of the, I guess, weird relationship you have with your father, but also that's not what we're talking about right now. And this is something else. You know, just throwing in stuff like that really throws them off because they go, what? I, I, that's not what I'm talking about. And then they think about it for a second. And then they get real, real quiet. And then they don't ever bring it up again. How do we get from writing to here? I was just talking about college, I guess. Anyway, I'm definitely not tired. Um, I don't want this episode to be 40 minutes long, but I also don't think that there's going to be a second part to it. we got to figure out some way to wrap it up. I was talking about college. I was talking about speaking up. I was talking about how even getting yelled at is not really that bad of a consequence. Kind of didn't touch on that as much. But it's true. I believe it. It's a fun thing to sort of run past yourself. I, I, I kind of believe in, you know, if you're always going to be moving forward, constantly moving forward, constantly improving, right? Then self-reflection plays a big part in that. And like legitimately, what's the worst that can happen? If, if the worst thing that you can think of is someone will disagree with me and I might learn from that, or someone will yell at me, well, that's not really that bad, right? It's not getting hit by a car. It's not running into an unexpected bear trap. It's not having all of your money and livelihood stolen. It's not um, being stuck in a loveless marriage, right? Like, it's not really the worst that can happen. It's just sort of a thing that could happen. There's so many quiet people in college classrooms who have great ideas when you talk to them one-on-one, who you, you say, you should say that to the group, because there are so many terrible short films that we've seen so far, and I really think that what you have to say would add to that, and I don't want to just say it, because then I'm just stealing your thing, who just sort of shrug, you know, like, I don't know, and when I don't speak up, it's because I'm afraid, but I don't know what what their problem is, really. That was my project in college for a while. <laughs> I had a number of projects, but one of them was being um, the first person to speak so that the silence is broken. And I have a lot of trouble with um, like higher thinking, like uh, abstract thought. So all of my questions would be something like super dumb and basic that I just couldn't get. And I think that there's a lot of value in being sort of a, there's a lot of value in being a dingling. I think that if you are the first person to say something and the thing you say is 
something so stupid everyone has an answer for it then everybody says something and then they sort of get in the mood for it you know kind of get in the swing of it and once everybody's in the swing of it everybody's sort of saying something then you can kind of get some interesting work done um can get something going but if everybody's quiet if everybody's afraid to talk or thinks their thing's too dumb then seminar stars rise up people like me people like other confident people who I went to college with who also have dumb ideas people who see the opportunity of being a confident person in a public situation not as an opportunity to further conversation to create more speech and ideas in other people but as a way to create fame even locally for themselves right inward versus outward facing like personally i think of the seminar stars inward facing and that's no way to be be a good college person you gotta gotta be outward facing you know here's what's going on here but fill me in <laughs> you know what's up with that thing i have a question about your piece you know i'm really bad at that because again with the abstract thinking i think a lot of people are i wish they weren't anyway that's sort of the thesis of this podcast right Fixing people. Fixing everybody. Admitting that we're broken. Admitting we need help. Finding that help. Finding that repair that's inside. And moving forward, this has been Constantly Moving Forward. I'm your host, Jacob Earl. I also produce this show with the help of SaveTheCroissants.com. It's also me. If you want to find out more about the show, you can go to ConstantlyMovingForward.net. Find more episodes and subscribe on iTunes or Overcast or wherever you like to get podcasts. Till next time, I love you, I'm proud of you, I'll talk to you next week.